0: So this is a it's been an interesting week as you folks all know uh, those of you that are tuning in on one of the internet channels uh that were expecting to see Dax I apologize <laughs> um, yeah I mean and thanks to our the the, el- the guys on the elder board um, we've had a, more than a few curve balls thrown at us this week with uh Dax's emergency and then of course the uh Trying to decide whether if phase two is gonna happen, are we gonna be meeting outside again and then me preaching to an empty auditorium, which I don't know which would be better or worse. But um grateful that we could be here this morning and, and worship our Lord together. And Robin came in with these uh balloons this morning, and it was so fun to to see that. It was just a joy to be back together again. It's just awesome. Um Amen. This, uh, I don't know if it's too soon or not, but, um, Dax, uh, came through this, and I think that the, the Lord had a big hand in that when he looked down and, and saw who he had as alternatives to bring the word to the congregation, and he's like, eh, I don't know, maybe there, give him a few more years, so, uh, we're so grateful that, that he's okay. And again, the elders, we did, we were zooming and back and forth and came up with all kinds of contingencies because again, we didn't, we, we didn't know, you know, what was going to be happening. And then the folks back here that have to do the sound and prep for either way we were going to go and Michelle with all the work she does here to get this stuff ready is um, awesome to see uh, the leadership of this church pull together and, and uh, here we are. So you get to, you get to hear me, I noticed that the uh, little uh, handout there said guest speaker. And uh, I I, I like that a little bit. You know, I'm not really a guest, but um, I I was telling the guys, I really had a hard time using the word preach, right? I mean, I'm not a trained preacher. Um, I love the Lord. Um, I know what he's done for me. And uh, so uh, I'm bringing the word it's you might think that I had to throw this together at the last minute, which I kind of did, but it wasn't like me bringing the word was going to be a big surprise because Dax was supposed to have a vacation back in April and I was the one that was going to uh bring the word preach um, at that time. And so I was doing all this stuff, getting it all ready. And uh, probably, you know, maybe a third of the way through when the shutdown hit and, uh, The, uh, <laughs> so it's a lesson in procrastination because it's like I just kind of, you know, put the brakes on a little bit and all along I'm thinking though, you know, I should probably get this finished because at some point I, regardless at some point I'm going to have to do this. And two, you know, maybe Dax gets the COVID or something like that and then they're going to ask me to do it. So, um Tuesday <laughs> we got the this, and I'm like, I guess I'm on deck. So, so here we go. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, Seinfeld does this bit where he uh talks about people's greatest fears. And uh their number two greatest fear is the fear of death. Number one is public speaking. <laughs> so you'd rather be in the box than given the eulogy. It's weird. So anyways, we're again just grateful and uh I'm honored to be here. I hope you guys hear my heart. I'm gonna pray right now. Heavenly Father we're grateful to be able to gather together again, Lord. Uh, we're grateful to be able to raise our voices in song, praising you together, Lord. Um, it's not the same when we're at home individually, Lord. We know we can worship you there. We know you're there. But to be together with uh, like-minded believers that love you is just so encouraging, Lord. So we thank you for that. pray you'd calm my heart. I pray that the people would hear my heart, Lord, and more important, hear your message of forgiveness grace and redemption in Jesus name amen I'll be stopping for a drink regularly people that know me know I probably you know I'm lucky to hear me string 30 words together at any given time and uh, this is the second time I'm going through this which is a lot of words so um, Judy's not going to have anybody talk to you for a little while but, Um. So this morning I'm going to be uh, speaking from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses um, 11 through 21. I'll go ahead and read the the whole thing here to begin with. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, And not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. we might become the righteousness of god it's normally our practice here at church to uh like dex will uh go through a whole book and uh so you don't really need a whole lot of uh i guess coming up to speed here but since that's not what i'm doing i'm just giving a message out of the middle of it um, i'll give a little bit of context and background for second corinthians paul took his first trip to corinth uh and it's written about in acts 18 1 through 17 he was there about a year and a half working and testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Seems like most uh, didn't like what they were hearing and opposed and reviled him, it says. And he gets a little frustrated, I think, and says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles, although the ruler of the synagogue believes. So Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthians. This is kind of like a who's on first kind of a deal going on a little bit. Um, 1 Corinthians is the second letter and 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter. 1 Corinthians is a response to a response from the people regarding the first letter. Paul writes about such things as division, sexual immorality, lawsuits, marriage, Christian liberty, order of worship, and the resurrection. After Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to check things out and kind of be his representative. We don't really know what all happened, uh, but it doesn't seem like it went well. So Paul decides to go himself. This is what they call the painful visit. That doesn't appear to have gone super well either. Um, so Paul returns to Ephesus and wrote a third letter. This is the so-called severe letter and had Titus deliver it to the Corinthians. He then heads to Macedonia, where he's suffering a great deal as well. And Paul meets Titus there and gets some good news finally. 2 Corinthians 7, 5-7 says, For even when we arrived in Macedonia, our body had no rest, but we were afflicted in every way, quarrels outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted among you because he reported to us your longing your mourning your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more Paul was encouraged and he wrote a fourth letter that we know as second corinthians he begins this letter as he uh, almost always does by establishing that he is an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god that he is writing to saints or believers he goes on in the first four and a half chapters writing about god's comfort in suffering Writes about forgiveness, what the new covenant means, the light of the gospel, suffering with the hope of the resurrection, and our heavenly dwelling. So now we'll finally get to our text. I've broken this up into <clears throat> kind of three parts. Um, the first part is, is uh, verses eleven through thirteen. Kind of talks about who we are. It reads, Therefore. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. It's interesting, they, they say that the if you're preparing a sermon, you learn a lot more than if you're just sitting out there listening to a sermon. It is true. Um It's difficult doing this because, I, well, for starters, I've never done it before. And uh I have the Logos Bible software, which I am not good at. I would go somewhere, and then I'd try to get back to where I was, and I couldn't find it. And I'd shut it down and reopen it again so it would start over. But... um if I found and going through that there's just there's so many rabbit trails you can go down right there's 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 stuff that deserves uh further investigation but obviously don't have time to do all that so i there's there's things here that uh might bring some more light to that stuff but i just can't go there and for starters the, there's the, the therefore is referring back to verse 10 i think where it talks about the judgment seat of christ And I'm not going to pretend to know what exactly that's going to be like, how my deeds done in the body are going to be weighed, but I can say with confidence that as we will see at the end, with our trust in Him, we are reconciled and become the very righteousness of God. That's His promise. The fear of the Lord is what implores us to persuade others. Fears they define fear a few different ways here, but whether that fear is terror of the judgment that awaits those who don't believe, or fear defined as an awe, respect, or love for what God and Christ has done for us. Paul goes on to defend himself against the people that thought the condition of his life did not merit a hearing of persuading. They saw all the suffering he was getting, um, wasn't sure that uh, he didn't have letters of commendation from people. Uh So, they didn't know if, they, if he merited a hearing. God knows his heart, though, just as he knows ours. He reminds the readers that it's not outward appearance that qualifies him, but the message of reconciliation in Christ that he, we, and they should boast about. It was not the testimony of the law that qualified him. It was the testimony of the Spirit. <clears throat> some think that the uh beside ourselves in there is kind of funny, or some translations actually say insane. Might better be made to say ecstatic or overjoyed or elated. I kind of like that. It illustrates his enthusiasm for the wonderful news of the gospel. I think of Dax when he's excited about it while he's preaching and does his Santa laugh. Ho, ho, ho. I I love it when he does that. Regardless, those that doubted him thought he was crazy. And those whom had their eyes open to the gospel knew it to be true. And, And to me, this is a little interesting. I didn't talk about this in the first service, but at Christmas time when we, when we did the Christmas Eve service, some of us got up here and read the Christmas story. And, uh, I know that there was unbelievers out in the audience. And as I was reading my section, it, it came to me. Just like, this just sounds crazy, right? If God had not opened my eyes to the truth of his word, it's, it's supernatural, right? And it's so, 1 Corinthians, actually, uh, 1, 18-24 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Our second section here, verses 14 through 17, what controls us? Starts off where the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died Why would Paul live this way? Why would we? People thinking we're nuts. Because we believe in Christ crucified. Paul and I have concluded that one has died for all. Since he died for all, it follows that all have died and that now we live for him. We should no longer regard one another according to the flesh, law, morality, outward appearances, education, even though we and I often still do. Even Paul said he once regarded, regarded Christ according to the flesh. He didn't fit society's standards of law or behavior. He hung out with the wrong people, did things that those in power had deemed unlawful or even immoral. He persecuted Christ and his followers until finally his eyes were opened and he understood that not only did Jesus obey the law, he fulfilled it for all time, for all people. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, believes his life, death, and resurrection to be sufficient and efficient, they are new creations. The old has passed away. Are striving for a life on a scale where somehow our good deeds exceed our bad? Or the covenant that says, do this and be blessed? But behold, the new has come. A substitute that fulfilled the old completely and forever, and then transfers that to us. I believe that if this occurs in us, it births a desire, if not an ability, to live no longer for ourselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. It can be no other way. There are those that say if we teach this, people will do what they want and live licentious, antinomian lives. That is not my experience with people that are new creations. In fact, if I did what I want, it would be to live a perfect life without sin. I want to please my Savior. But like Paul, I find from Romans 7 that I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Which is why we should no longer regard one another according to the flesh. It lies about who we are in Christ. This is why I effort to look at my sinful brothers and sisters, you know who you are, not as they appear to be but as Jesus Christ says they are this is the love of Christ controlling us <clears throat> all right <clears throat> third section why we're blown away says verses 18 through 21 all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the cool part. Ho, ho, ho. <clears throat> We're supposed to pay attention, I'm told, when a word or phrase is repeated many times. Reconciles is repeated four times in these three verses. Reconciliation is generally meant as a working out of differences between two parties, so it can be tempting to think we are one of the parties involved in the deal, so to speak. Or it could be like we're reconciling our checkbook, make sure it balances at the end of the month. The problem here is that the numbers do not add up. Not even close. So we're forced to, so a forced reconciliation must be done. And I joked with Nathan earlier, I'm, you know, I'm no accountant, he probably hates this kind of stuff, but I've had a business for a number of years and balance the checkbook every month and there's been a, Couple of occasions, not a bunch, but a couple of occasions where I just can't make the numbers work. They just, there's a few cents off or a dollar off or something and I go through it time and time again until my eyes are bleeding and, and, uh, I can't make the numbers work so QuickBook gives you this option to do a forced reconciliation. And I've done it. <laughs> so our, our, the numbers will never work. The statement's missing crucial data. More likely it was entered wrong and we can't find it. And this is our inability to do what God commands and thus be righteous. So Jesus does a forced reconciliation. He fulfills the commands and asks us to trust that it is finished. And similar to my QuickBooks program, of course all these analogies break down over time, but similar to my QuickBooks program, when I've had to do this, he only asks, are you sure? Click yes. And then a lot of times it asks you again, but Reconciliation is not us getting ourselves right. It is us being made right. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. It is the Father reconciling us to himself through the Son because we have nothing to offer. He then gives us this ministry of reconciliation to implore others regardless of our intellect or qualifications believe me i have neither i was told by somebody at the end of the first service that i shouldn't uh, be so self deprecating up here but uh, it's all about lowering expectations <laughs> but at the same time i don't have anything to i don't have anything to offer here as far as seminary or great learnedness or any of that kind of stuff but what i do have is a belief in Christ crucified in His love and His redeeming work for me. And I can tell that to you. So he then gives this ministry of reconciliation to implore others, regardless of our intellectual qualifications, that their trespasses are not counted against them and that they can be reconciled to God through Christ. It's my friend Jim McNeil who likes to say, Jesus Christ died for sinners and it worked. We are ambassadors sent with a simple but profound message of the gospel, and it is this for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll just blow by that statement. It's twenty three words. That sum up the good news and God's plan from the beginning to make a way for us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Not only sons and daughters, but heirs. Heirs of God's very own righteousness. A righteousness so holy, so other, that one could not look on it and live. Gifted to us. How? The only way possible, a substitute, a propitiation, God took our sin, all sin, past, present, future, big or small, from gluttony to murder. He did not suffer less for your or my small sins than what he does for what we consider the most heinous. He took it all. He became it all. He suffered, shed his blood, died for it, and in exchange gives us all his righteousness, And then he rose again to prove his victory over death. So powerful, so humbling, so awesome. This is why we should no longer regard one another according to the flesh. Christ died for that, and it worked. All right.